0: Good evening again. I am Felipe Chemi and one of the pastoral residents here, uh, and we are continuing our series on Second Corinthians. So I'll read this just three verses for us tonight. You'll be pleased after this morning's passage. <laughs> then I'll pray and share the word. So first, I mean, Second Corinthians chapter one, verses 12 through 14. Second Corinthians 1:12 through 14. For our boast is this: the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. And supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand. Just as you did partially understand us. That on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Father thank you for your word. And we pray that this, your word, will shine bright today so that we might see the face of your Son and be transformed from glory to glory to honor you everywhere with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The church has suffered with many leaders who did not live up to God's godly standards. Sadly, they have often covered their lack of integrity behind their own ministry success. There is no need to mention names, but many of us have witnessed how the gospel's integrity suffers before believers and unbelievers when the scenes of these inadequate leaders are revealed. And sure, this might be well-known leaders uh, whose sins are scandalous. But many of us may have been disillusioned by double-faced pastors and teachers or leaders who tell you one thing but then tell others something else. Their ministries and the integrity of their preaching are lost. You just can't trust in them anymore. Thankfully, we still have plenty of great models of character and integrity. John Stott. Was a renowned pastor in London who passed away back in 2011. Uncle John, as he was known among his closest friends, reminds us that to be an evangelical Christian is not just to subscribe to an orthodox Trinitarian formula. The evangelical faith reaches beyond belief to behavior. It brings with it a multifaceted challenge to live accordingly. But indeed, it is easier said than done. Did John Stott live up to the challenge? Rico Tice, formerly the pastor of evangelism at Langham Place in London, worked with John Stott for 17 years before his passing. This is how Richard Tice describes John Stott. I joined staff at All Souls Langham Place in 1994 and had the privilege of getting to know Uncle John as both a colleague and a friend. And it was his godliness that most struck me over the years. In fact, the closer I got to him, the more apparent it became. So as we see in our passage today, another great model of integrity and character is the Apostle Paul. This is what we find in these verses. One particular reason Paul wrote Second Corinthians was to defend his ministry and his character against false accusations. It seems like the church in Corinth was influenced by apparently strong so-called super-apostles, leaders who persuaded the church to believe that Paul was weak and that he was not sincere in his letters. Paul's letters sure sound strong, they said, these false teachers, but they don't show who Paul really is. In chapter 10 of Second Corinthians, Paul says, I don't, I do not want to appear to be frightening with my letters. For they say, th- these false teachers, they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Let such a person, Paul continues, let such a person understand that what we say by letter, when absent, we do when present and then in chapter 11 paul writes that indeed i consider that i am not in the least inferior to these super apostles even if i am unskilled in speaking i am not so in knowledge indeed in every way we have made this plain to you in all things what we read then in in this few verses today is the beginning of an extended defense of Paul's character ministry and ministry against these false accusations from the church and teachers, claiming that Paul is weak and double-minded. Paul defends his ministry because the gospel, the gospel's integrity is in danger. Leadership roles or any other ministry really may be unjustly criticized or rejected. However, no matter what others might say about you or your ministry, we have to make sure we have a clear conscience before people and before God. The gospel's integrity, our Lord's honor, it's at stake if the preacher's integrity Is at stake. Paul boasts, he glories on his clear conscience and hopes that the church in Corinth will boast too. Did you see that? Verse uh, verse 12. Paul boasts, that is, he he is confident about, about his conscience. For our boast is this, a testimony, what his conscience testifies about him. And then in verses 13 and 14, Paul hopes that on the day of, our, of the Lord Jesus, the church in Corinth will boast of him too. His confidence is now a model for us. Boasting is a strange word. I remember... When I was first uh, saved and I was handed this New Testament to read, I was, and, and I was reading through the letters of Paul, this Paul sounded so boastful. I didn't like him. <laughs> but then you come to understand that there is a boasting as we were just singing. We, there is a glory in our Redeemer. We rejoice. We, we are confident in in our Lord. And there is, of course, boasting he will criticize and challenge. But this boasting is a boasting from a clear conscience. And as we serve others and minister the Word of God to believers and unbelievers, we too must have a clear conscience for the gospel's sake. These verses, there are two ways in which Paul models for us the integrity of his character. First, we must have integrity in our lives for the sake of the gospel. And second, we, have, we must have integrity in our words for the sake of the gospel. Again, first, we need a clear conscience in our lives, our behavior for the, for the sake of the gospel. Listen to Paul's confidence again in verse 12. For our boast is this, The testimony of our conscience that we behaved, we conducted in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. Not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so towards you. Paul boasts. He glories in his clear conscience. He is confident about his conduct. Paul models the integrity of his life and ministry in several ways. Paul tells us the manner, the means, and the scope of his integrity. Not the manner of his character. His his behavior was with simplicity, as the ESV reads, and godly sincerity. In other words, Paul lived in such a way that it was straightforward, clear, With pure motives. In short, what you see is what you get. Paul also tells us the means by which he lived in integrity. Not by, so first negatively, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. Paul was very intentional in living by grace. Especially in Corinth where wisdom or worldly wisdom was highly valued. Paul wanted them to put their faith not in worldly wisdom, but in the power of God. Paul's ministry was never about his own power and eloquence or strength, but about the power of God through his own weakness. He had already said so in his first letter in chapter 2 I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Paul's character and integrity result from God's power and grace. Let me say that again: Paul's character and integrity result from God's power and grace. Listen, church, we all depend on God to live in godly sincerity. In fact, Paul literally writes that he behaved with the sincerity of God. This is not just godly sincerity. Yes, it is sincerity characterized by God, but it's also sincerity that is God's, that comes from God. Paul then manifests not only his character by pure motives, but he's also manifesting the character of God in the way he behaves and lives. Also, Paul was not godly in some places and then sinful in others, (laughs) Did you notice that? The scope of his integrity. His conduct was the same in all the world. Paul and his companions demonstrated the same character. Everywhere they went. And he emphasizes that he did so even more or supremely so towards them. So the church in Corinth had a better perspective. They had seen Paul and his conduct in their midst. And they were still falling for false accusations against him. No matter what they were saying or how they were accusing him, Paul was confident about his conduct. His conscience was clear for the sake of the gospel. He lived with integrity. Second The integrity of the gospel also depends or hangs on the integrity of our words. Sure, Paul might have behaved with godly sincerity, but were his letters sincere and straightforward? Or was he hiding other motives? The following verses, after this passage, the following verses in chapter 1 explain that Paul was planning to visit them but instead he wrote a letter a sorrowful letter not to cause you pain Paul writes in chapter 2 verse 4 but to let you know the abundant abundant love that I have for you again apparently these so-called super apostles in verse 13 suggested that Paul did not live up to his words that that Paul, in his weakness, changed his mind and failed to keep his promises. However, Paul demonstrates that his letters say what he says, which is exactly what they read. Look at it again, verse 13. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. Paul here might be referring specifically to the previous letter, maybe this sorrowful letter, but it, it's better to take it as whatever he writes, he writes with integrity. Paul's words were as sincere as his life and conduct. What you read is what you get. But Paul does not stop here. He has, he has higher hopes than to defend his ministry and integrity again the integrity of the gospel is at stake paul hopes that they will fully understand did you see that end of verse 13 and then on through verse 14 and i hope you will fully understand just as you did partially understand us that on the day of our lord jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Paul does not only want to be vindicated, his desire and hope is that their relationship will be restored. As one author puts it, the upshot will be a restored relationship of mutual trust based on a reciprocal confidence. Also, Paul hopes they would fully understand the integrity of character and ministry because they are in danger of missing the gospel. In the words of another commentator, what Paul is after, therefore, is that the church would fully embrace him, his mission, and thus his gospel their vacillation between him and other voices vying for a following is distracting at best and destructive in most insidious forms. So the integrity of the gospel is at stake if they fall for these false accusations. Note also how Paul is not just confident about his character in life and words, now he's also confident about his and their boasting in the future on the day of the lord one thing is to have a clear conscience presently but how confident are we that when all things are revealed in the day of the lord us as a church will glory in our integrity Paul knows that at the, at the end of the day, God will judge motives and character. That is what he wrote in First Corinthians again. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul boasts in his life and words, in his character, in such a way that he has nothing to hide. The false teachers might accuse him of weakness and double-mindedness. But Paul is confident that when the Lord comes, the ultimate judge will reveal everything as it is. The church will then fully understand the integrity of his character and the integrity of the gospel will be vindicated. So Paul models for us the integrity of his ministry because the integrity of the gospel is at stake. The integrity of the gospel hangs on the integrity of our life and words. Just as Paul depended on God's grace and character. We too must rely on God's grace. Everything you are must be the same in church and at home, in the workplace and in the gym. Take care of your conversations, relationships, friendships, Whatever it is, prayerfully ask God to help you be honest, sincere, and have pure motives everywhere, every time. God is not promising that false accusations won't come. But in all the world, let your life and words be straightforward and godly and sincere by God's grace. Jesus himself went to the cross, bearing not his sins, but our guilt and sin. He was crucified because of false accusations against him. You know what? He committed no sin; neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, by, but continued to continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In his weakness and integrity, he brought salvation through his own. Ministry. When we commit to the integrity of life and words, we point to Him. The integrity of the gospel is affirmed. Many times that will mean repentance and being honest and asking for forgiveness, not just to God, but of others. We may appear weak. But in our weakness, the power of God is revealed. We don't want others to put their faith in us, but in the power of God. The Lord uses our life and words to validate the gospel we proclaim. Let's live in such a way that when the Lord comes, the integrity of the gospel will be vindicated. I'll finish with just two examples, stories. Once an army officer asked President Lincoln if he could write an article defending the administration against attacks that the committee was making on the conduct of the war. And Lincoln replied, if I were to try to read much less answer all the attacks made on me, this shop might as well be closed for any other business. I do the very best I know how, the very best I can, and I mean to keep doing so until the end. And the other one, again, John Stott. He writes, There is to be no dichotomy between what we profess and what we practice, between what we say and what we are, but rather a fundamental consistency. And so he lived. After John Stott's death, his secretary, Francis Whitehead, put it well at his memorial service. I worked for him, she, she says, I worked for him for 55 years. And I want you to know that he was authentic. He lived what he preached. Let us follow Paul's examples as they did too. Father, thank you for sending your own son who, despite false accusations, he served you purely, perfectly. And in doing so, he saved us to live accordingly. Father, Father, we pray that by your grace and your character, we too might be committed to the integrity of our lives and words that we may proclaim the gospel clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.